I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. In the studio with me is Marilyn Whittington, Executive Director of the Delaware Humanities Forum and not a stranger to this show. Marilyn, it's great to have you back. Thank you so much for the invitation again. Now, for the sake of our listeners, could you uh, provide a little background about the Delaware Humanities Forum, its, uh, its mission, and how it serves the community? Um, we've been in the community for the past 41 years as a part of the National Endowment for the Humanities. We're one of 56 state humanities councils, and our ambition, like everybody else's, is to um, approach our history by documenting, preserving, and um, collecting the achievements of individuals in our state that contribute to the wonderful heritage that is our national story. Now, I understand that the Humanities Forum is both a granting agency, but uh, but also a programmatic agency. Could you yes, talk about uh, those roles that you play? Um, our primary role, I think many other organizations know, is that grant-making uh, capacity that we have. From the NEH, we receive a certain amount of money, and we must by federal obligation and our commitment to the community to return a fair portion of our federal funding back to the community to other not for profit organizations that want to produce their own humanities programs. We've worked with the Beeks Museum, the Hagley Museum, small organizations like the African American uh, Cultural Heritage Preservation Program, the Historical Society, the Lewis um, Historical Society, all manner of small organizations, and the University of Delaware, Delaware State University, not so much Wilmington University. And we provide our own programs, which um, we as a staff, five-member staff, um, provide pretty much the support for, we have a speaker bureau program, our most popular, a visiting scholars program, which is the sister program to the speaker bureau program. We offer literature and medicine to healthcare workers at Bay Health and Christiana Healthcare System um, and the Veterans Hospital. We uh, produce an annual lecture every year that, for the most part, reflects a topic of some historical or topical significance to the community. Um, and we have another other smaller programs that we do uh, with our opportunity grants. So you and I actually share something in common. The Delaware Humanities Forum is the the state-level partner for the National Endowment for the Humanities, mm-hmm. while the Delaware Division of the Arts, which I head, is the state-level partner of the National Endowment for the Arts. Right. So like you... The funding that comes to the national at the national level to the National Endowment for the Humanities in your case and to the National Endowment for the Arts in our case uh, is is extremely important to us. Oh, absolutely. So we 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 look to the federal government and our our congressional delegation in in D.C. Mm-hmm. to be supporting the arts and humanities at the federal level because we then become the beneficiaries of that at the state level. Right. Um, I haven't really done the calculation, but over the past 41 years, we've probably received several million dollars from the federal government. But the thing with our funding, I don't know if it's true of your funding, is that for every dollar that we receive from any age, if we put it, share that dollar with the community, with our not-for-profit organizations, they must match that dollar that we offer to them with their own in-house dollar and their own in-kind activity. So when we think about leveraging, over the past 41 years, we've probably received several million dollars from the federal government, all taxpayer-based, based on the population, the citizens who pay taxes to the federal government, and it comes back to us. 
we've just done a wonderful thing. We think with that money and our organizations, our partner organizations are very happy that we exist, NEH, and that you exist, NEA. And we really view that funding both from the federal level and from the the state level, in our case, from the General Assembly. And in your case, I believe you receive grant and aid. Is that correct? We receive a a respectable but small grant from um, the legislature. So, again, from the General Assembly. We really view that as an investment in the cultural life of the community. Because, as you say, it it really does uh, generate matches and additional support for the arts and humanities programming that Mm -hmm, that we both both support. Could you speak a little bit about some of the venues in which your programming takes place? Because, uh, I mean, you reach a a wide array of venues and a wide array of communities. Well, one of the things that we do as a staff, the current staff, five people, um, I shouldn't give their names because that's probably not fair to them. I didn't ask for their permission. (laughs) But we try to find really interesting historical and cultural venues throughout the state. I don't know if any anybody in our listening audience is aware of the Thomas Collins. He was our eighth governor of Delaware, and we host programs there. We host programs at the Lewis Historical Society. We go when we can to the Wilmington Club or the University and Wiz Club. Uh, we go to the John Dickinson Plantation. We're all over the state hosting our programs in places that have some historical and or cultural significance not only for the enrichment of ourselves as as staff people, but for the people who come and participate in the program. Whatever is going on in the program is um, against the backdrop of where we are historically and culturally. And I, I love it. <laughs> and I believe you, like we, view the libraries as an important delivery mechanism for the arts and humanities. Um, probably our favorite and most uh, loyal partners are the people at the libraries. Um our oldest program, the Speaker Bureau program, um, has its wellspring from the work of our early librarians back in 1973 and 1974 when Rona Finkelstein, our founding director, engaged with them to help us do our work in a public space. Now, you mentioned your Speakers Bureau. Where do you get your speakers from? How do you generate your list of speakers as well as the list of topics that they uh, present? Traditionally, we go to um, the University of Delaware, Delaware State University, um, occasionally Delaware Technical and Community College, and Wilmington College to ask professors um, to offer their good lectures, their best lectures that can be modified to uh, have interest and community um, importance. So we start first with professors because the NEH requires a certain amount of academic and scholastic rigor to the work that we do. I mean, we sit literally as the Delaware Humanities Forum side by side with colleges and universities in every state in Delaware. It just happens to be small group of colleges. Mm -hmm. So we start there. And then we do a call probably every 18 months for people in the community who are not necessarily scholars and academics and researchers um, to offer their professional and advocacy, their personal interest in research that has some um, intellectual heft behind the program. And we ask them to participate with us. It's an audition process, though. And we're kind of sticky about who gets to be a part of the Speakers Bureau program and who has to polish up their program and come back and re-audition until we find it 
appropriate for everybody else in the community. And for community venues interested in accessing your Speakers Bureau, how do they go about doing that? I would encourage them to go to our website, www.dhf.org, and click through our menu choices and go over to programs. There is the Speaker Bureau program that is available. Um, You work in partnership with a coordinator, um, at one of the non-for-profit organizations that maintains an affiliation with us and uh, present your program, and they in turn get in touch with us. And now I know you have a couple specific programs you're really interested in talking about. They sound really exciting. I did a little bit of reading this morning before we came into the studio. Let's, uh, let's start delving into those. Um, Our most important upcoming program is the one we're most noted for, I think, statewide, and that's the Joseph P. Del Tufo Annual Lecture. Dr. Del Tufo was one of the founding directors of the Delaware Humanities Forum back in 1973 with Ronald Finkelstein. He died um, much too soon in his life. Anyway, we have a lecture named after him, and this year our annual lecturer is going to be Dr. Jane Calvert, and her title... um, escapes me. I'm sorry. I just don't have that detail. But it's about John Dickinson. And John Dickinson, of course, is a statesman who uh, represented both Delaware and Pennsylvania in the early days of our colonial and revolutionary experience. And we even have a high school named after him. Mm-hmm. And what we found out in our you know, simple research is not many re- people really know John Dickinson. So as a part of our looking back in our history, which is our primary subject matter in the humanities, we're going to bring a lecture by a young and upcoming uh, academic from the University of Kentucky with a a book that's being released this fall about John Dickinson. And she's going to regale us about this Quaker who freed his slaves. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, John Dickinson was a... Uh, the term enigmatic comes to mind. He, Good word. And, and not in a pejorative way, but but just a very interesting and intriguing and and from a superficial perspective, almost contradictory kind of individual. Conflicted, I think. Conflicted is, the is probably word. the better word. Yeah. Conflicted. Just uh, faced with some very interesting political and and religious and philosophical challenges in the context of the American Revolution. Absolutely. Yeah. He was uh, quite a, a prolific writer, as as well-written as uh, Thomas Jefferson. However, he doesn't show up in the, in the canon the way that Jefferson does. Mm-hmm. But in terms of mid-Atlantic history, he's very, very important to us. And I would invite the listening audience and every friend of a listener in our audience to bring a friend. We will be at the Baby Grand Theater on October 15th, Wednesday, October 15th at 6 o'clock. And we'll be there for about 90 minutes, and we follow with uh, a private reception for Dr. Calvert and friends who want to meet her personally and sign her upcoming book. Mm -hmm. And John Dickinson had very strong ties to both Delaware and Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. He sort of straddled that that line at a time when the counties were much more closely— Related. Well, everybody has to remember that Delaware was once a part That's of Pennsylvania. Right. It was the lower three counties. The lower three yeah. counties. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I can't remember. I've heard part of an urban le- legend that someone laid their hand on the map that included 
this area of Pennsylvania and Delaware, and it's the curve of the finger and the signature of one's hand. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. We Penn, as I recall, right. that mm-hmm. gave us our curved state um, boundary. Interesting. However true that is, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But we're one of the few states with a curved boundary. Right. And it's a, fa- it's, it's a neat story. It's a neat story. Yeah, it's a neat story. Promoted as whatever. Yeah, I, I was looking up, and in, in, um, I mean, as a former history teacher myself, I, and loving colonial history, I always found John Dickinson to be fascinating. And I taught in Quaker schools for many mm-hmm. years. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, his, his prominence in the, in the political scene and the scene of, of the discussions about independence and revolution I was looking at a at a uh, the uh, the website this morning about the the upcoming lecture, and uh, John Dickinson was was sort of identified as an advocate of rights and liberty, but not of independence or revolution. Right. So I've, you know th- that dichotomy in his own life and how that played out in the context of the revolution is interesting. And I believe, if I remember correctly, he was the author of the letters of a Pennsylvania farmer, Absolutely. which presented you know a, a perspective on the time period that is mm-hmm. fascinating. And and your speaker uh, coming in, Jane Calvert, will be be addressing him in, in a very intimate way, which... Actually, it's been her interest. I mean, she and I talked. She came last year as a guest to our lecture with Gary May last year. And I said, you know, I'm not really sure we want to, you know, kind of go over, you know, John Dickinson. I mean, he really isn't that important to us. And she literally took the time to reframe my thinking and she did it very graciously and I thought this might be an interesting lecture and in fact we have a high school and hundreds of thousands perhaps graduates who probably don't know why John Dickinson you know carries the name of their alma mater so Mm -hmm. we invite those people to come and get a good heavy dosage of why the school that they you know hail from bears the name Mm -hmm. so yeah I'm looking forward to it. Well, we have more to pursue, but let me first remind our listeners you're tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. Our guest in the studio today is Marilyn Whittington, the Executive Director of the Delaware Humanities Forum. Uh, we've been talking about the upcoming annual lecture on October 15th. Is that correct? That is correct. And that'll be at the Baby Grand, at the Baby Grand in Wilmington. And I assume there's some kind of a registration process for people interested? Just go to our website. The lecture is always free and open to the public. We've done it that way for the past 40 years, and we're not changing now. We do have a reception, however, that is a fundraising reception. It's not very expensive. The ticket is $40, and anyone who wants to join us can do so. We will be at the Wilmington Club in Wilmington, just three blocks away from the venue for the lecture. And it's certainly supporting a worthy cause with the Delaware Humanity Forum, uh, providing programming in a number of venues around the state with very uh, topical uh, issues related to to Delaware and its history and the humanities. Some people may have um, joined us just this past spring, June, uh, the last part of our series uh, looking at the Civil War and Delaware's relationship to the nation during the Civil War period. We were known as a border state. We were one of four states that embraced both the opportunity to uh, harbor people who were free, African-American heritage people who were free. But at the same time, we also honored and respected and allowed those citizens of our state to hold on to those people who were enslaved. So we have this identity as a border state. And for 18 months, we had an installation of three plays, 
joining with the National Endowment for the Humanities and all other states to look at this 150th anniversary of the commemoration of the Civil War and how it affected each state in our nation and how it affects us now. Uh, we did Signs of the Time at um, the uh, Old Newcastle uh, Courthouse, mm-hmm. which was the original scene and trial of Thomas Garrett, and we reenacted a play with very clear dialogue drawn from the trial itself. Then we followed up with um, Red Honors, which followed the 4th Regiment, uh, a group of Delaware soldiers who were participants in the Civil War and a very bloody battle at St. Petersburg, Virginia. And we concluded right after the Civil War with The Nation's Wounds, a phrase taken from Lincoln um, when he was happy that the war itself was over and he wanted to bind up the nation's wounds. And we did our final installation of that play in June at the Delaware Theater Company. Our intention is to take parts of that play, parts of those three plays, and put them in schools so that children in high school, 9th to 12th grade, particularly the American history classes, can immerse themselves in the local story and the local um, history that connects us as a state and a nation to that tumultuous period. And the role that Delaware played during the Civil War is just phenomenal on so many different levels. As you mentioned, being a border state, the the role that the abolitionists played in Delaware mm-hmm. with the Underground Railroad coming through Wilmington, sending sending you know, escaping slaves on to Westchester and media and then farther north to get into what was considered free territory because Delaware was not free territory, as, as you mentioned. Yeah, it was not uh, free. Yeah, so it was— uh, But not slave either. But not that's slave the, either, the right. Tricky thing. Yeah, sort of— um, uh, a reminiscent of that paradox that John Dickinson wrestled with uh, exactly. during his lifetime in the in the American Revolution, but then the role of of Delaware, I mean, the Dupont Company, and the role it played in the Civil War, and Fort Delaware, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a processing you know facility for Confederate soldiers that were captured at Gettysburg and and Vicksburg, and right. and you know, so uh, just Delaware played such a phenomenal role right. in the Civil War period. And years ago, it's interesting that you would bring that up. Years ago, when we were participating in the Chautauqua program, uh, we featured um, Albin Sheff, who was one of the first prison directors, for lack of uh, a better word, at Port Penn mm-hmm. and Fort Delaware. Mm-hmm. And he was very progressive in his thoughts and his approach to soldiers who were captured as prisoners. Um, we just have this rich and wonderful history that is sometimes hidden, and it's our duty part of our duty at the Delaware Humanities Forum to bring some of those stories out into light. So for whoever is here and participating with us, they have a fresh and enriching experience in understanding what it means to be a Delawarean Mm -hmm. then, now, and perhaps in the future. So to tell that story, you have these, is it three different... uh, performances or theatr- are they theatrical in nature? We have three different, we call them plays, and they okay. were presented as installations, as stories along the way. It started, the first play, um, Signs of the Times, was focused the Thomas Garrett trial. And then the middle play, Red Honors, focused on 
the 4th Regiment and the final play focused largely on Lincoln and what Delawareans did, particularly Edwin and Cruz did, to restore Delaware and get it moving forward into being a fair, more defined state. And when I say defined, we don't know Southern or mid-Atlantic and Northern, but Mm -hmm. to define the state more as an identity, where do we fit in the nation? And these programs are available. These programs are available. I encourage anybody to call us up, 302-657-0650, or pop us an email at info at dhf.org. And quickly, we have about a minute and a half left. I want you to, uh, I want to get to your third program, Standing Together, the Humanities and the Experience of War. Yes, we are a part of, again, um, programs that the National Endowment for the Humanities tries to identify for us to keep us unified with the rest of the nation. We just received a small grant, $10,000 grant, and our intention is to work with veterans particularly from the Korean War on into the Iraqi War and the Afghani conflict, um, to hear their stories of war and what their experience is. We're focusing first on uh, men and women who carry their identity, their proud identity, in their Delaware car license plates that identify them, WW2, Korean War veteran, Vietnam War veteran, etc. Mm-hmm. We don't have the two other designations, but we want to start there and collect some oral histories and bring those people, those soldiers to our world. Mm-hmm. Which I think is an incredibly important story to tell. When when we read of war and warfare in the paper, we we often miss the human stories that need to be told. That need to be told. Yeah. And the people who are experiencing it and right. defending us, but become invisible the minute they take their uniform off. Right. Well, Marilyn, it's been a pleasure having you in the studio today, telling about the great work of the Delaware Humanities Forum, wonderful programming, and invite our listeners to visit www.dhf.org. Is that correct? David Harry Frank. For some great, great programming and great opportunities to learn more about Delaware. Thank you so much. Thank you.